This is the Enterprise Joy podcast, educating organizations to be awesome. OKRs or objectives and key results. Now, if you haven't heard of this term before, then you're probably in for a treat because whether you believe it or not, uh, in the recent few years, this has become synonymous with, with a number of product organizations around the globe. And primarily, it is a very simple goal-setting system that allows organizations to align their actions, uh, and it has gained popularity. However, its usage with a lot of the leading startups and enterprises have been good and bad. It has been used by a number of big organizations as well. It has been used by Google, by Intel, uh, by the Gates Foundation. They have their own success stories. But the question is, what really is it? And uh, there's a number of things that follow that question around, is it really a powerful tool uh, that can change the face of an organization? Or is it just a new fad that's uh, here to stay for a few years? Uh, What are its basic elements and attributes? And what is the premise behind uh, it to be successful. Also, there are a number of myths associated with OKRs. And uh, the major question is, is this a foolproof system? And this is basically what we plan to discuss in this podcast. I am Vishal Prasad. I am a product development consultant. I will be your host for this session. And I welcome you all to the deep dive with me and my colleagues here, uh, where we try to answer these questions and discuss basically the rise of OKRs. So before we proceed, uh, let me introduce you to the tribe that I have with me over here, and we lay down the purpose of this podcast. I'll allow the folks to introduce themselves first and then share the story of why we are here. Uh, Let's start off with Rahul. Rahul, if you would like to introduce us. Thanks. Sure, Vishal. Uh, so thanks, I'm Rahul. I live in Johannesburg, South Africa, and uh, I'm passionate about music, sports, fitness, and sometimes uh, when I, whenever I'm not doing these things and not spending time with my daughter or with my family, then I work as well. Uh, uh, yeah, and I'm learning agility for last uh, almost 10 years. So that's me. Uh, do I need to nominate someone or? Oh, please go ahead. Okay, I will nominate uh, Sri. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, you know me as Sri Harsha. Um, lately, I've picked up another name called Ajel Amigo. Um, yes, I've had a few teething issues when I got into my Agile journey. However, I wanted to kind of avoid that or help people uh, to avoid those teething issues. Hence. Uh, Ajay Amigo. Um, <clears throat> so I have uh, a 10-year-old and, uh, of course, a, a loving wife along with me in the UK. Um, I am uh, a coach uh, who, who try to change people's mind in order to uh, uh, think the right way of doing things. So that's what I do. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be on this uh, session today. Thank you. Um, I'd like to nominate Rucha. Thank you, Sri. Hi, uh, I'm Rucha Kapre. I'm born and brought up in Pune. And for all the people who know, uh, I love the city a lot. 
apart from that i also love traveling if it's with my parents nothing better than that um i do love dogs but i don't have one right now but there was time when i had 14 stray dogs uh mm. my mom was like either i can keep you or them no brownie points for guessing whom i chose but yeah that's pretty much okay. and i nominate vijay Uh, Vijay, you are mute. Mute, mute. Awesome. <laughs> I'm audible now. Yes. Yes. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Vijay. Thanks, everyone, for the great, awesome introductions. Uh, yeah. My name is Vijay. It's been ten years into business analysis, then transitioning into product consulting, product management roles. Uh, I am basically from Bombay. Uh, I like to call it Bombay because for me, Bombay is not a city; it's an emotion. Uh, and uh yeah apart from that i have i am quite i have quite been nomad i have lived across many countries try to understand the it product landscape starting from the us then sometime in canada i consider to be a nomad in or to have lived in a certain country for certain time considered time of 6 months then i say i have belong to that country for certain time i've understood the culture there so like that i have explored us canada singapore uh lately australia and let's see i am i'm Trying to do some consulting work in emerging markets in Southeast Asia next in the future. Yeah, that's me. Cool. And we finally have Mayuresh. Good morning. Uh, my name is Mayuresh Atlekar. Uh, interestingly, uh, agile is is the is the buzz around and across, and it's changing a lot of businesses. Uh, been into this business or this um interest for the past 10 years so i've been below, you know uh, all my experiences into product development so uh, this topic is is quite close and this aspect is also close to me um i think uh, various aspects in terms of uh, professionals keeping apart i'm a old coin collector um, so i'm a photographer uh i do uh, you know like to have conversations with people so i think various things were uh, being part of uh, to discussions aspects of you know uh, running certain activities across uh, these are hobby part of uh, my uh, you know routine uh, apart from professionalism uh, professional commitments so that's about me Cool. Thanks, Vish. Thanks a lot, everyone. <clears throat> and yeah, I'll give a little bit of my introduction also, a little expanded one. So yeah, I am a product development consultant. I'm based out of Pune. Uh, I'm also passionate, a lot of passion you know, with agile software development, and uh, I experiment with a lot of mechanics of it. I enjoy teaching in general, uh, and the subjects may basically vary based on the audience, but usually it's around product delivery. Uh, i like speaking i like reading i like uh, blogging although i'm not very regular with it i'm also a bassist so i play the bass guitar i'm a father and if everything falls in place i hopefully will be an author in a few years maybe that's the ultimate okay for myself Cool. So, thank you, everyone, once again for dialing in. And I know it's pretty early for at least folks like uh, Rahul and Shree. So, I love your enthusiasm. Thank you for being here. 
and also a big thank you uh, for Rucha uh, for helping us bring in a little bit of diversity. Uh, and I say that truly because Shri and I, we have struggled a lot uh, with our groups uh, to make it more inclusive. Uh, we keep on making attempts to improve on this front. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's nice to have you here. And so let's provide some insight about, to our listeners as to who we are and why are we here. Now, of course, we are here to discuss the rise of OKRs, but a little bit of background before we go, uh, get into it. So it all started a few weeks back when Vijay over here, he, uh, he pinged in one of the groups uh, inquiring about uh, a group where there are product delivery enthusiasts. And I'm using this term very generically and you can relate the, the product delivery enthusiasts to anything from product management strategy, however you want to put it. Uh, but Rahul uh, replied to that, uh, that message with a bunch of suggestions. Uh, I think it was a private message. He did mention one thing though, and that caught uh, all of our attention that a lot of these groups, not all, but a lot of these groups were very much focused towards selling certain services. And a bunch of these groups also had a lot of passive folks. So they had loads of people in the group, but not a lot of active participation and not a lot of uh, knowledge work really flowing around. Uh, so instead we thought, hey, why don't we form a more focused group uh, of individuals who are very active in involving and involved in knowledge sharing activities through various mediums. And that's where we created a small group for ourselves. We named it the Product Management Tribe. I think it's a, it's a working title or not. I'm not sure, but it sounds nice. Uh, you can change it anytime. It <laughs> yeah, but it sounds nice. And actually I, I did a um, like a Google search or a GoDaddy search. I'm not selling these services, okay? I'm just mentioning their names. Uh, and there's there's no domain right now. So probably if you want, yeah, this can be. But as of now, yeah, it's it's a small group on Telegram with uh, less than 20 people. Less than 20 yeah, 14, people. 1, 4, 14, 14. people, yeah, okay. And yeah, that's how we came into existence. So this particular podcast, uh, this is an attempt to kickstart that essence of the group where uh, each one of us actively shares knowledge through some medium at regular intervals. Uh, so if you're tuning in for this session, this is the first session and you may be witnessing history in the making. So and let, let's hope for the best. Can I give one another, uh, I mean, another thing about uh, the group? Yes, so the only, the only condition is uh, to be on this group is that uh, one of us, one of our, uh, like these 14 people, uh, should have met you in person and uh, then you should be committed to share your knowledge as well because we know that you I mean you all know a lot but sometimes you feel that no 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 I don't know anything so everyone has to share so that's a that's a condition in this group so that's it absolutely okay so without further ado let's jump into the topic of the day which is the rise of OKRs uh, let me summarize the structure of this session. Uh, primarily, it will be me imparting knowledge uh, around the topic. Uh, however, that, that shouldn't stop all of you to interrupt me at any point of time. Uh, you are here to speak your mind, to ask questions, to provide your own examples and share your experiences. 
Also, do not hesitate to disagree with me at any point of time. It's perfectly okay. We can have a healthy debate around certain topics. And of course, this podcast is not for selling the OKR as a concept to the listeners. It's absolutely not. It's purely educational. Uh, the listeners can choose how they wish to utilize this education for themselves. And yeah, that's that's it. So if there's no questions so far, let's let's start off and let's start off with diving into a little bit of history, if that works for everyone. Nah, I'm not sure if history is a light subject. Oh yeah, I'm passionate about history. I forgot to mention. Passionate about history. Yes, I have one. Nice. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, uh, so here's the thing. I mentioned in the beginning that uh, OKRs is a very simple goal-setting system. It's a very simple goal-setting system. Uh, a question for all of you: When do you think the first structured goal-setting system uh, came into existence or, or evolved? How old do you think that must have been? Make an educated guess. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay if you're wrong. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, uh, it it was somewhere around uh, the World Wars um, while <laughs> Mr. Hitler was was trying to uh, bring control command into uh, existence. I don't know if if that's the truth, but this is definitely. Um, not an educated guess, but just a wild guess. So shooting in the dark early in the morning on a Sunday. Uh, maybe thirteenth November, nineteen eighty-two. Thirteenth November, nineteen eighty-two. Wow. I, I okay. I won't get into. <laughs> no, no. I just mentioned my birthday. <laughs> the date of birth. Come on. Okay. I thought you're getting somewhere. I definitely thought you're getting somewhere. Okay. Um. Uh, now. This, the, the concept of goal setting has been around for many, many years. The first uh, definition of a structured goal setting was uh, provided by uh, Peter Drucker in the year 1954. So he uh, published a book. The book was titled uh, The Principle of Management. And uh, it revolves around a principle of management by objectives and self-control. Yes, so management by objectives, also known as MBOs. And uh, it typically in involved an annual cycle uh, to manage performance and to manage people. An annual cycle-based performance management system. And actually, to this day, there are a lot of organizations that have widely adopted this, uh, this uh, concept where uh, you have your goal settings, which happen at the beginning of the year. There are reviews that happen at the end of the year. So it's pretty much uh, set. It it's like equivalent to... Theory of relativity for uh, yeah for performance management. It's, it's been it has stood the uh, the times. But yeah, that's that's what it is. So Peter Drucker came up with this uh, in 1954. Now OKR basically is founded on this same model, on Peter Drucker's model. But it has been modified. It has been modified uh, to be more iterative compared to the annual cycle that we have. Uh, there are more elements to it. Uh, so it's safely to say that it is new. It is at least newer than Peter Drucker's model. But then the question is, how new do you think OKRs is? Or how old do you think OKRs is? 
uh, it's not 13th november 1982 <laughs> uh, vijay i think you're talking but you're on mute so I have been reading about at least the first instance I read about OKRs being utilized in product management world was is around 2012-2013. Mostly started in Europe. Some organizations adopted OKRs in Europe, at least in product world. That's my knowledge. Okay. All right. So let's let's start off with breaking the first myth, and I think that's uh, we can carry on from there. It is a common belief. Uh, with many actually that OKRs uh, was invented at Google. Okay, it's common belief I say because it's not true. Google adopted the OKR model and it did modify it to a great extent uh, to suit uh, its purpose. And uh, then it also published its very famous blog on rework. And this blog is so often shared whenever some organization or group wants to adopt OKRs that it just feels, oh, it's a method coming from Google. And Google being Google, people do accept it. So, yeah, and so it is. It is. This is also the source for this uh, uh, popular tracking mechanism, where we say if you achieve seventy percent of your OKRs, you have uh, achieved a lot. Uh, so yeah, there is the stretch aspect of it, but there are misconceptions around that as well. So we'll discuss that in a while. But yeah, this is. They are not. Sorry. So they are not kind enough like Henrik Niebuhr where he like writes a blog to say that guys I have never discovered the, the Spotify model. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, should discuss about Spotify as well at some point of time. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's the thing. So yeah, OKRs has gained popularity uh, in the past uh, few years. A, a lot of popularity rather. That's the reason why even I mentioned the rise of OKRs. But no, it, it does. It did not start at Google. Okay. The father of OKR, and you can actually search for this. You can Google this. Father of OKR is actually a very famous person called Dr. Andy Grove. Dr. Andy Grove. If you don't know who he is, he was the third employee uh, of Intel, Intel uh, Corporation, and he also became the CEO of Intel in 1987. And he was the one who started off with the uh, the concept of OKRs. Rather, he used it very widely in Intel. I think he started something around 1971 in Intel, and Intel started in 1968. So a lot of the growth of Intel is actually because of OKRs as a system. So that's like the core of Intel. And uh, there's also this very famous uh, operation called Operation Crush that Intel ran. And... Uh, it was basically to uh, dominate the microprocessor market, and the only competitor, as in the only competitor that Intel thought was the one for them to defeat, was Motorola. And the story about Operation Crush, used, utilizing OKRs at the crux of it, is uh, so popular that yeah, Motorola did not stand a chance, and that's how the 8086 processor became the de facto in, in the computer field at that time. Actually, I don't remember the last time when Motorola was not kicked out of business. Everything it pioneers, it gets kicked out of business. Yeah, but that's that's what it is. It's uh, that's the origin of OKRs. So the father of OKRs is Andy Grove. <clears throat> uh, so yeah, and the method that he mentioned is very simple and it's very elegant. Uh, and it actually caught the eye of uh, this another gentleman 
also a famous figure his name is john dor john dor so john dor also started his career with intel um, he witnessed okrs in the making while working with andy grove uh, later on john became an investor uh, a venture capitalist and he has been single handedly responsible for spreading or popularizing okrs in the silicon valley so he's the one who introduced it to organizations like google he's the one who introduced it to organizations like my fitness pal gates foundation zoom pizza and and many many more so he practically is the person who made this dream of andy grove come true for many other organizations and that's possibly the reason so he should be the one responsible because of which many feel that he started in google but he merely brought it to google and yeah google made a lot of difference with it for itself so it has a 10x growth the motto for google it's actually based on the okr motto so yeah that's that's a little bit of um, of history of okrs uh, however okrs doesn't uh, stand by itself there is also some complementary methods to it uh, cfrs being another one and cfrs is this continuous performance management method uh, there has been case studies about adobe adopting it uh, very well and they have seen a lot of success with it so we'll discuss cfrs also briefly uh, towards the end of this podcast uh, yeah okr cfrs they pretty much go hand in hand when it comes to uh, structured goal setting any questions so far nothing as of now all good all good cool so let's get into what exactly is an okr Uh, so now uh, we know that it's relatively newer compared to peter drucker's original management by objectives concept uh, there are many new variants to peter drucker's model actually uh, for example the the smart goals have you heard of smart goals yeah, so smart goals it's actually pretty close to the invention of smart goals is very close to uh, rahul's birthday it's 1981 it was 1981 published by uh this guy named george doran and uh yeah even smart goals is very popular uh making your goals very specific relevant measurable time bound achievable and then there are various other methods as well so there's the hard goals concept there's the fast goals concept but these all of these are revolving around the same concept of peter drucker and okr also fits in in the same space so uh okrs defined by andy grove it basically has two components it has uh, an objective that's very specific and very relevant to let's say an organization's mission and then it has a set of key results which are measurable and time bound and when you complete or achieve all of the key results then practically you achieve the objective so if one objective has three key results you achieve all the three key results to completion that would mean that the objective is completed that's a very simple relationship so yeah that's all that's there to okrs actually it's that simple uh, if you want we can end the podcast here there's nothing more to it but that's what it is so an objective is like uh, like this long uh, well not very long but a longer vision and then key results are these smaller things that you measure in order to safely say that hey a particular objective is met uh but what makes okrs different is 
uh, the way it gets implemented in an organization. So there is a process behind the implementation of OKRs that makes a lot of difference. Now, yeah, if, if you're thinking that it is, okay. Do you think it's easy enough to implement this simple process? It's very simple. It should be easy to get implemented, right? I mean, what's, what's wrong with it? Agile, it's simple, but difficult to master and implement. I think same as the case. Simplest thing are easy, difficult to uh, implement and master. Yeah. I just told my words. <laughs> I think it, it goes, it's true with a lot of methods. So hmm. it, they make it sound so easy and simple that it gets marketed very easily, but it's really, really difficult to implement it. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the same with OKR. So many organizations get hooked to this, that, hey, this is very easy. It's, it's, it has uh, minimum necessities for OKRs to be successful. Uh, there are certain elements which are required for it to be successful. So four elements to be precise. Okay, so the first element is prioritization, like heavy prioritization. The second one is alignment. The third one is tracking. And then we have the very famous one, which we call the stretch, stretch goals. And uh, yeah, let's, let's get into the details of these because each of these has some concepts and some ideas behind it. And then we finally go to stretch and we have a nice laugh about it. Let's see what happens. Okay, so the first one is prioritization. Now, all of us or anyone who has worked with products, we understand the value of prioritization. It, it basically brings in focus and it allows to allows people to commit to a very few important tasks that make a lot of difference, uh, be it value or be it something else. And that's the same with OKRs. So there are a few things that need to be decided. Firstly, uh, you do need a regular cycle for the OKRs. And these regular cycles is what bring in the time-bound aspect of key results. So every time you run a cycle, whether it's a quarterly cycle or a six-month or an annual cycle, the cycles define the time that, uh, that a particular objective or a key result is alive. Uh, it does make sense to have uh, multiple cycles at times. So especially if organizations are uh, adopting OKRs, uh, for the first time, and they already have an annual cycle, for example, then it probably makes sense to have two cycles, one on an annual basis, one on the short-term basis, maybe quarterly. The quarterly will be more uh, short-term goals, the annual will be a little longer-term goals. But then these cycles, you can decide how, uh, how much the length of these cycles should be. Quarterly cycles are more or less uh, the suggestion that comes from a lot of the folks who uh, have worked around OKRs. And this is basically a variation from Peter Drucker's original model. So Peter Drucker's original model was primarily based on the annual cycle, whereas OKR focuses on shorter cycles. And this is also another reason why OKRs has become many, uh, very popular with many of the organizations nowadays, because we are moving towards agile organizations. A lot of organizations adopt frameworks like uh, extreme programming or Scrum. And a lot of these frameworks talk about shorter cycles and OKRs fit in that shorter cycle. So yeah, that's the first thing about prioritization. You want to make your cycles shorter so that you are working on smaller amount of set uh, that you can uh, complete in one cycle. 
the other most uh, more important aspect is you should commit to not more than 3 to 5 uh, top line objectives per cycle so 5 is like your uh, your boundary again this is a suggestion so if there are reasons why you need to have more than 5 or less than 3 yeah it's perfectly fine you can decide that for your organization but it makes sense that the top line goals the first level for an organization there are around 3 to 5 goals over there. and uh, these 3 to 5 objectives should not have uh, more than 3 to 5 key results so that's the relation 3 to 5 objectives and not more than 3 to 5 key results which uh, basically uh, fulfill a particular objective and these objectives uh, they have to be uh, unambiguous so everyone understands it pretty much uh, properly the key results are uh, measurable they are time bound uh, if it does happen that you have a lot more key results which are needed to fulfill an objective maybe that's an indication that you have to split the objective yes so that may be something that you have to look at uh, this is also to say that it if you are going to measure these key results you are basically bringing in the focus of your uh, of the people in your organization that what we are measuring is really important this is the one that matters so having good measurable key results is extremely extremely important and uh, measuring the right things is extremely important now uh, for example if you have an objective that says i want to provide high quality service as a software high quality service as a software a good result or or key result that you want to measure could be uh, a 10% reduction in crash reports 10% reduction in crash reports because it's very uh, much product or outward facing it it really defines the quality of particular system um uh, but if you do for example have a key result that says uh, zero defects zero defects also would mean higher quality of system that's it's possible for your objective to be met but the moment you put zero defects your team can become very creative uh, with their approaches to fulfill this objective uh, and i i do have an example to give so i started off my career uh, uh, with deloitte in 2008 i was an intern at that time and at that time deloitte also had a very structured uh, performance management process it was based on peter drucker's model uh, we used to have goal setting for the entire year we used to have mid year review cycles and where goals could be adjusted and so on so the first product first project that, that i was working on uh, it was a huge team uh, around 40 people 40 odd people uh programmers and testers they uh, basically sat in their own clusters so they did not sit together as in in the same cubicle but they had their clusters but they were not very far off so we could actually see each other and there were there was not a lot of space in between so it was still pretty close uh but this entire aspect of having a testing team was very new for me because uh, i was straight out of college and for us testing was just a phase in the software delivery life cycle so if we would have been doing a project in college we program it we test it we did not have a testing team as such uh, but here it was the first time for me to interact with a testing team and uh, there was something that i kind of uh, noticed uh, in the first few days so whenever the tester found a defect 
they would approach the programmer before creating a ticket. And we were using Jira at that time, but this was Jira before Greenhopper. So this was pre-Agile, or before Jira became Agile kind of, the, kind of the time. Then it was just a, I think, ticketing system. Just a ticketing system, yeah, just a ticket. Yeah. And it actually had a horrible, well, it still has a horrible interface, but it, it was more horrible at that time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so whenever there was a, a defect that, that the tester used to find, they used to go to the programmer. And uh, they had a verbal chat with the, where the programmers explained what the problem is. And then the programmer used to attempt to fix it uh, in, in some duration of time. And only if it was not fixable in some duration of time, then it got raised as a ticket in Jira. Now, this really did not make a lot of sense to me at that time because I did not really understand a lot of the management aspects. I was pretty new, I was just out of college. Uh, but there was a reason behind this thing, that, uh, this kind of a setup that was going on. So the testing team had a goal for themselves. The goal for the testing team was that they have to achieve a very specific defect density. Uh, if you know what is defect density, defect density is n number of defects uh, in n number of lines of code or n number of features, however you want to calculate it. So testing team had a goal that they have to raise at least n number of defects and n number of features every day. Okay, that, that was their goal of achieving like the threshold for the defect density. And the programmers had a goal to not exceed the threshold. Okay. So this is what happened. Both the programmers and uh, testers, they got together and they had like this verbal agreement we both want to look good in front of our managers. So keep on raising defects till the time your threshold has reached. But once your threshold has reached, then don't raise defects, come and talk to us directly and we'll fix it. And that pretty much is, is an example of, uh, of having a bad key result for your objective. It's not really giving you the, the right picture of whether your software has high quality or not. And very honestly, I have seen this behavior with many teams. It's, it's not like this was the only team. And I have tried to address it whenever I've, whenever I've faced it. The last, I think I noticed this behavior was last year or the year before that. And it, it's not like a regular practice, but since we are all human, every now and then these kind of uh, attitude uh, will pop in. But yeah, the, the point is that that's not a good way of having a key result. It's not a very good measurable key result. It does not really fulfill your objective. So having well-defined key results also brings in that focus. And that's where the prioritization aspect also comes in. Zero defects may be a key result that we want to have, but it's not something that gets prioritized as something that's really valuable for the objective. So you need to actually remove it from, from your key results. So three to five very focused prioritized uh, objectives and each objective has three to five very focused key results. With me so far? Right. Yes. Uh, yeah, actually an interesting thought occurred to me, Vishal, while you're talking about time-boundedness of OKRs. Uh, so in recent years, if as I'm following some strong voices in the product community, they are professing this philosophy that uh, OKRs or any kind of measurement metrics need not be time-bounded. Uh, 
So is it really necessary for even OKRs to be time bounded? The, the, the cycle can be of any length you want. So let me give you an example. YouTube, uh, I, I may not have get the story very correctly, but we can Google it later. YouTube uh, at one point of time had an OKR of having 1 billion users, 1 billion active users. I don't know how bad this is, but they had an objective of 1 billion active users. But this objective was four years long. Hmm. So they had, uh, like if today I'm, I'm setting a goal for myself that I, I need to have 1 billion active users on my platform, this is a goal I'm setting for myself which needs to be completed four years from. And then in these four years, you have certain milestones that you want to achieve, which at least prove that you are moving towards that goal. So your OKR can be at different levels and have different cycles. So these long-term goals will be like huge. They will be, I am going to achieve this particular objective in four years. But every quarter, for example, you may have these small things that you will have to build that will take you closer to your objective. For example, uh, for you to achieve 1 billion users, active users, you may also need enough hardware to support the amount of traffic coming in. So you can actually have smaller objectives as to how slowly and frequently you're going to build your hardware for the next four years so that you can support this more. And uh, I have also heard about these instances where people have complained that uh, building products is a very creative process and uh, we shouldn't put a time a time stamp on creativity yes it is true okay and i'm not going to deny it it is a creative process it's equally important to stay uh, relevant in the business world staying relevant in the business world is something that has to be balanced out with the creative process and that's where the entire aspect of having goals come into picture. So think of it this way. Um, let's say Google and Apple, right? Google has Google I.O., Apple has their uh, product launches. It happens frequently, even OnePlus. They do it every six months, every one year. There is one, uh, uh, one big conference where people come together, new features and new products are, uh, uh, are uh, showcased. And that kind of gives a rhythm to the market, to the, to the people, to the consumers that, hey, we can expect something new in the next six months or we can expect something new in the next one year. And when this kind of predictability goes away, then it becomes uh, concerning for consumers. Then consumers may think maybe this company is not doing as well as they want to. And then you, there is possibly a loss of business. So concepts like goal settings, be it OKR or anything, it's just to balance out these two aspects. Creativity is equally important. Being relevant in business is equally important. And it's, it's important to balance it out somewhat. Right. So theoretically, if there is no time element in the goals, they are not smart goals at all. But in the, case of OKR, that does key, not apply. The T in smart is, uh, is time. Exactly, it's time. So that's why I say if there is no time element, they are not smart goals. They are goals, but they are not smart goals. Yeah. So likewise, yeah. OKRs can still be OKRs if there is no time element. No, there is a time element, but that's the cycle. The, the way it's defined is the cycle. Okay. So when you are defining your objective, your objective needs to define the cycle as well. 
the cycle can be a quarter the cycle can be annual the cycle can be mid year the cycle can be three years that's up to you but you will put a cycle to it okay yeah i i think one aspect that comes into my mind and i may forgot uh, it later uh, that's why i'm just mentioning it <clears throat> i think objectives and uh, even results uh, they are good to have but one aspect another aspect that sometimes we forget is like how we want to achieve them okay so like if we take an example of this uh, uh, programmers versus testers and both wanted to achieve their key results uh, or their objectives uh, what happens is people try to achieve them through competition because people want to compete with each other and with agile organizations what we are trying is we are trying to make sure that people are understanding the concept of collaboration so yes those objectives we still want to achieve them but like through collaboration so that's why that's where a lot of companies they set that okay you have to achieve this 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 and then people want to become heroes and that's where like companies start like uh going towards some down, down that's a downside yeah, so we'll address that in in a very few minutes because that's actually the second element of okrs that and that's pretty pretty much something that you want to achieve i mean it's it's good to have heroes but the the type of heroes change and it's, it's important to take a look at that but yeah we discuss, we'll discuss this when we come to the alignment aspect of okrs but they yeah, are that's that's a valid point uh okay so with regards to the key results you actually have to uh, measure what really really matters whether be it individuals or for team or for product or business that's up to you but you have to be very precise as to what is it that you're measuring and it's always a good idea to balance out quantitative and qualitative uh, measurements and i'll give you an example of what quantitative and qualitative measurements mean responding to 10 requests for proposals or rfps for example so i will as an individual respond to 10 rfps or submit my proposal for 10 rfps that's a quantitative measure okay that's something that i have to do and i know that i'll be able to complete it and if i'm able to complete it then i know that i have moved closer to my objective a qualitative measure for the same objective will be that i win two new projects so the winning of two new projects is qualitative in nature and the way to uh, distinguish it is the one is completely under your control it's your actions whereas the other is more of an outcome that you are you are expecting and rahul since you mentioned that the how aspect of uh, of achieving okrs is equally important yes it is equally important and uh, the way key results are written is it just provides what outcome is expected so it says this is the outcome that i expect from this okay from this objective and the people are free to uh, they have the autonomy to decide how this outcome can be achieved and that's why it becomes even more important to have the key results mentioned very very much measurable that really matters so this is how you can have like qualitative and quantitative goals and uh, and balance out the two uh, the other example let's say if you are working with products then uh, it can be something like i need three new features uh, every month 
as possible. Three new feature releases every month. That can be a quantitative measure. Whereas having 10,000 active users daily, that becomes a qualitative measure that defines the quality of your product. And both of these are equally important. So uh, you have to balance it out well. And uh, the good part of having uh, measurable key results is at the end of the cycle, uh, when you have your objectives in front of you, it's in black and white. It's either done or not done. So a lot of the performance management conversations where people may get into a lot of arguments with their managers, with the leaders around, hey, I think I have done this, but there's someone else saying, no, I don't think you have done this. That reduces because you have made it very objective. And uh, uh, even though this black and white thing may be, uh, may be very straightforward, that does not mean that the conversations go away. The conversations still need to happen. But the way the conversations happen are slightly different. So I'll give you an example. Uh, when I was working with Springer, uh, I did have one qualitative goal for myself. And the qualitative goal was to, um, this was in one of the years, to identify, initiate two projects. Identify and initiate two projects. And at the end of the year, I was able to complete only one. So if I look at my goals, uh, I have achieved only 50%. I, had, I needed to achieve two, I achieved one, it was 50%. But then I had my conversation with the manager and the manager assured me that, yeah, from an objective standpoint, it's 50%, but the, the effort was very visible. The, uh, the, the things that I did in order to ensure that that possibly happens, that was very visible. And that for him was, yeah, it's deemed complete. There's, there's no way to say that you did not, you were not committed to achieving this goal. And that's the beauty of qualitative key results. Uh, it, that conversation is very uplifting. It, it motivates the people uh, because it addresses their actual effort. So even if the goals are not met, your effort is still something that's, uh, that's addressed. And that's good. Um, Vishal, should you want to speak? Vishal. Sorry, uh, just on your second example, which you gave uh, a few minutes ago, um, while defining your objectives uh, or, or OKRs, um, how important is it in order to keep your customer in mind? Because whatever you said is definitely uh, an OKR achieved, qualitative, quantitative analysis, um, uh, you know, way of looking at things I liked. Um, in, in your second example specifically, you said, uh, um, I have 10,000 users hitting my website or on the similar lines. But wouldn't it become important that just by somebody clicking on your website and, and marking their footprint in would not uh, really bring in uh, you know, customers? Uh, what I'm saying is, while defining your OKRs in an organization, is it not important for you to wear the customer's hat and see from their point of view, whether are you really helping them or just, just defining OKRs for your own sake, for your own team's sake, etc. No, absolutely. So the aspect of good product development does not go away. That, that always stays. Uh, customer focus, actually the entire business being customer focused is highly important. 
And again, we'll address this when we come to the second element, alignment, in just a few minutes. Uh, but that's the whole point. Your objective that comes from the top line is driven by the business objectives as to this is where I see the business going. This, this is, these are the customers who I see uh, being served for the next cycle. Uh, this is what will take us uh, to the next level. This is what will make us market disruptors. All of this, all of these conversations still happen and that's supposed to happen. This does not go away. Uh, so yeah, and again, to the example, uh, for the 10,000 users, 10,000 users registering, yeah, it, it is not a good key result. Having daily 10,000 active users, that's still a good key result because then you have repeat users coming every day. Uh, similarly, new registrations, not a good key result, but registrations leading to uh, something else on the product, yeah, that's a good key result. So definitely, the, the elements of product, uh, like a good product, they don't go away. Customer focus, customer-centric, user experience, all of that is still relevant. Uh, and then there are methods of making it more important. I'll come to that as well. So there is actually a way that if you think there's something uh, in the product, which is really, really important uh, for the business altogether, how you can actually make it a business goal. There's actually a way of doing that. So I'll come to that as well. Yeah, so I think this is pretty much from the first element of OKR, which is prioritization. And prioritization is pretty much to align your people towards a few very focused goals to which everyone is committed. And ultimately, the most important aspect of OKR success is the, like the conviction that, or the buy-in that you get from our organization leaders. So the organization leaders believe that, yes, this is important. Whether it came from them or someone else in the organization, it doesn't matter. It's just important for the organization. So that's about prioritization. Any questions around the aspect or the element of prioritization? All good? Okay. Um, so, before yes? we move, uh, you mentioned uh, like why prioritization is important. You also mentioned that uh, uh, it's not. Uh, it's not preferable if uh, we are committing to uh, too many of them. So like three to five uh, is a good way. So maybe uh, I was just relating it to uh, the one of the Kanban principle, which is uh, like a limit work in progress because, so, so that we can have focus. Yes. Otherwise it will become too much. We'll be committing to too, much, too, too many things and then might not achieve like Absolutely. all of them. Yeah. And it, it, it more or less has a lot of similarities to what we'll do in the software development world. So limiting work in progress, uh, having iterations and planning for iterations based on the, the moving average and stuff like that. It's very similar. With the, with the preference to the shorter time scale. Which is with the preference to shorter time scale. Yeah, so the, these are the principles because of which OKRs have become very popular because they kind of align to the way of working of a lot of... Uh, Agile organizations that we uh, that we want to work with. Yeah. Okay. So after prioritization, and since this and whatever I'm going to discuss next, we have actually had had those questions. The second most important uh, element is alignment, and this is where if it's not done well. Uh, things like Rahul, as you mentioned, people compete with each other or 
people do a lot of things but nothing takes them forward and if this element is not taken care of well things don't work out well so whether you use okrs or any other goal setting mechanism there's no alignment then you're not moving in the same direction um now when it comes to okrs okrs will almost always start at the top so let's say if you have a quarterly cycle uh the leadership the higher senior leadership will usually meet uh, a few weeks before the next quarter is going to start and they will kind of align themselves or reach a consensus about the top line goals of the organization for the next quarter just as as an example so most of the times your objectives are always going to start at the senior leadership level and this will usually be aligned to the organization's vision or its mission its values its strategies and it basically will shed some light on how we achieve operating excellence by focusing on uh, these aspects the first thing that's very important when it comes to alignment is all of these objectives must be transparent to everyone in the organization when i say everyone literally everyone uh you can do it either by having like this uh, a company wide tool where it is always visible to everyone or you can have all hands or town halls and the idea of transparency with the top line uh, objectives is you repeat it so many times that everyone even the senior leadership gets tired of hearing it like in the quarter or in the year that objective everyone just they wake up in the morning they know that this is what this is what they are like uh and that's pretty much the idea you have to repeat it so many times that it becomes really really transparent and then the the thing comes that you have to take these high level frontline goals and you have to cascade it to the lower levels and this cascading now happens in a in a slightly different way when it comes to okrs i'll i'll just give you an example to uh, to explain how this happens so the frontline uh, or the top line uh, objectives there will be 3 to 5 objectives as we saw in the prioritizations so it will have 3 to 5 objectives each objective will have 3 to 5 key results the level below like the minus 1 level for them the key results of the higher level become the objectives for this particular level and this level of minus 1 takes these key results as objectives and defines their key results then their key results become the objective for the next level their key results become the objective for the next level and this is how the entire cascading happens so the organization like planning onion yeah it's like, like a planning onion it's like vision, a vision 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 becomes vision becomes strategy strategy becomes the yeah. reason yeah. but the way this is done is that even if you take like the frontline people uh, the folks who are right at the at the bottom or the ones who are doing the final work if you just take their key results and you keep on adding up the objectives you can actually go till the top line it's that smooth okay. and that's why it makes sense that if you're in a very big or large organization then you have a tool that allows you to do this because it can get really 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 uh if you're doing it on an organization level which has let's say 200 300 people you can still do it let's say by putting mind maps on walls and stuff like that uh yeah but for enterprises large enterprises it starts becoming very uh, very complicated so you can have some kind of tools in place so uh, vishal 
so this aspect does it uh, cater uh, the alignment aspect only or does it cater the collaboration aspect as well i'll, I'll come to that okay. i'll come to that just now. so this is just one way so the top down cascading is one way of aligning your objectives from top to bottom but OKR is a two-way process. It's a give and take. So bottom-up cascading should also happen. So if, if an organization has embraced OKRs in the best possible way, a good division would be 50% top-down, 50% bottom And the flatter your organization, uh, the better it is because then the lower level is much closer to the higher level. So an organization that has 10 levels versus organization that has three levels, the third level will be much closer to the organization goals compared to the 10th level. And the way the bottom-up uh, alignment or bottom-up uh, stuff works is, once the top-line goals are defined, you'll, and yeah, there are multiple strategies that you can have, but one of the strategies can be you define the top-level goals, you skip the middle management completely, and you directly go to the front line. And the front line aligns their goal directly with the organization. And then you come to the middle line and the middle line then has a responsibility to ensure that they serve. So their objective is to serve the front line. And that's how the middle management then aligns their objectives. So there's an equal amount of top down and bottom up alignment that happens. Uh, so yeah, this is just one strategy that you can apply. And I'll give you an example where I have done this uh, in the past. Uh, but then there's another way of cascading goals. I think this was a, a question that Shri asked with products, right? So does the importance of products go away? Absolutely not. So let's say that there is one uh, key result for a particular product team that is absolutely essential for the success of the business. This objective of the product team can actually be pushed higher in the alignment and they can become objectives of the organization uh, itself. And then it automatically becomes the objective for the rest of the organization. And that's where OKR is a two-way process. Just because it gets defined at the top level first does not mean that it will also be finalized with the top level frozen. The top level can also change. And this give and take process can take a few weeks before it normalizes, uh, but it's possible. And it's allowed, rather, not even possible, it's allowed. And then based on the organization's maturity, you can select which approach suits you the best. Maybe if you're doing it for the first time, you will not do bottom-up at all. But slowly, every year, as you iterate and you uh, start understanding the concept much better, then you will start aligning it in a much better way. Right. But then let's come to the uh, question that, Rahul, you have. What about the collaboration? and uh, yeah, organizations cannot work in silos. So there is also the alignment, which is a cross-functional alignment or a lateral alignment. And this again goes back to the aspect where OKRs need to be extremely transparent. If there's lack of transparency, this lateral alignment is not possible. And the idea of lateral alignment is, uh, if my team has an objective which needs support of another team, the another team needs to have some key results that cater to me. And this is how the teams get aligned. And uh, it basically then becomes, uh, the, the, the collaboration actually comes in much later because that actually comes when people start working together. 
but alignment of goals is equally important because if that's not aligned you will not even collaborate so alignment happens at three levels there's a top down cascading there's a bottom up alignment and then there's a lateral alignment that happens cross functional or cross uh yeah so i think uh, if i just want to give my earlier experience from deloitte again the testing team and programmers uh they pretty much lacked this lateral alignment because they were both competing for their own uh, for their own goals but not really working towards this common goal which is a good uh, quality product uh yeah but this this is one of the things that you can achieve with lateral alignment i mean i would like to uh, give an example why this collaboration becomes an important important aspect uh, from the experience at one organization i won't take the name and not even what kind of organization it was <laughs> so <clears throat> basically what happened uh, this organization uh, they had uh, the concept of a uh, top achievers award okay and uh, uh, the brilliant thing is was that if you so it's an individual award individual category if you get this award then you basically earn a trip to europe and you get 100000 rands which means like around 5 like inr 5 lakh inr to spend on your trip okay so uh, it was an amazing amount I and everyone wants to do it <clears throat> so now what people used to do is like now i need to make sure that i am one of the top people so to to make sure that i am at the top i need to make sure that other people are at the bottom okay so i just need to make sure that i don't if i am one of the uh, great people i have knowledge i need to make sure that i don't help that person i mean other people until someone from the management ask me okay i do i mean can you please help and then i will suddenly help other people and then i will become a blesser for other people that see i mean i helped everyone and that's how i will be able to achieve my top achievers award and then uh, so that was one aspect one problem another problem was and that happens is like knowledge remains with one person and then you are too dependent on that person at the end uh, so that was one problem another problem is that uh, as soon as one person achieve get that award other people are like oh no from next year i need to make sure what this person was doing i need to make sure i am also doing the same so that's how i mean individual uh, awards that i mean they actually uh, <clears throat> they actually uh, becomes a problem for an organization and they don't even realize that it's becoming a problem yeah what's the name of this organization that gives your <clears throat> you can check my linkedin profile <laughs> i'm just asking if it if it has job openings anyway <clears throat> no you can check my linkedin profile i won't name it <laughs> uh But yeah, so again, going back to Deloitte, I don't know why I keep on coming back to it. So I had uh, this conversation with my counselor at the time when I was in Deloitte, and they had the rating right one, two, three, four, five, five being the highest. And uh, I asked him how do how do I get a five? I know it was it was just a good uh, it was like a joke. Okay, I I need a five rating. I'm I'm bored of met expectations, and he. I hope he was joking I'm not sure he said the only way to get a 5 rating is if you burn something and then fix it under <laughs> person so yeah nah. no that's that's not true you shouldn't do that <clears throat> no but that was true huh? that was true actually <laughs> okay 
Yeah, but so so one of my clients, uh, they started off with OKRs a, a few years back, and uh, the lateral alignment is also something that uh, that was difficult for them to align with. I'm not sure if they have aligned with it now or not. But the problems we faced were a lot of the product teams who have dependencies on each other. So there was good top-down alignment, there was good bottom-up alignment. Uh, but product teams were not aligned. So if the product team has a dependency of, let's say, an API from another team, uh, and this this other team does not have that in their objectives, then that key result was never met. So I know that they face a lot of, rather, I was uh, in one of the product teams, so I faced a lot of challenge with uh, with this alignment, the lack of lateral alignment. But yeah, it's it's absolutely essential when you have dependencies across teams. I think that's where uh, Google's 10x growth, that objective, is, is so important and so much at, at a top level that every department that's, so if a product department needs a marketing department before they launch, they know that they have to align. And this all alignment comes from that one objective of 10x growth. And this is these are things that they do right. So there are loads of examples where these uh, these alignments are done in a good way. There are ways where people are still improving. But for sure, this is absolutely essential. It's very important. Okay, so I'll give you an example of how I have done this in the past. And actually, Rucha was a part of it, so maybe she can she can also uh, chip in. So when I was with uh, with Springer, Springer has or had at least when I was there uh, uh, an annual performance kind of cycle, and they had they were not working with OKRs, but they had something very similar. The idea was to have two qualitative and two quantitative uh, key results for yourselves. And then there was one key result, which was like, uh, you can go wild as to how do you want to see yourself grow. And uh, what I used to do with my team is there were 20 of us, we used to sit in a room uh, in a round robin. And in a round robin fashion, we used to just keep on going one person to the other and keep on asking them, their goals that align to the organization's goals. So organization had their high level goals and then every individual in the team would keep on refining their goals till the time they are smart and they align to the organization goals. So people would just read out their goal and if we thought that, okay, that goal is not completely smart, we just gave them time and we moved to the other person. And we kept on doing this till the time everyone had those five smart goals for themselves. And uh, the uh, the good thing about this was that in the room, when people used to talk about their goals out loud, everyone else would hear each other's goals. So it was not a surprise when someone would say, hey, if you're going to achieve that, then I'll have to do this. And suddenly there was alignment between these two functional groups. That, And I'm talking about little functional groups, so like programmers and testers and UX and BAs and stuff like that. And that automatically came up, that became alignment between the team as to if you are going to do this, then I'll have to do this. And that became uh, that became an alignment for the group. That was like a, a lateral alignment that we're talking about. And also there were times when people would just say, hey, I would like to pair up on you for that goal. So then this person was not solely responsible for achieving a goal that helped the organization, but there was uh, a few more people, a pair or three people or something like that. 
So this is how uh, we were able to do the lateral alignment for ourselves. There wasn't a lot of bottom-up scope in this particular system uh, because it was very much from the top and then we were just from teams. So I think the only bottom-up thing that uh, that existed was that it applied to me. So me being the manager uh, for that unit, my goals ultimately became the goals which would help the team achieve their goals. So I would do my goals after the team has done their goals and that's how the bottom-up aspect happened for me. So my goals clearly were driven by the team. And yeah, that's that's how we, we would align ourselves uh, in that way. And actually, Rocha has done talks on this uh, numerous times. You should actually go and see that. It's nice. Rocha, do you have anything to add to that? Yes, just one thing. So Vishal mentioned we spend uh, a lot of time doing this correcting it was actually Vishal and I remember we spent endless hours and he was not happy no matter what and then we had to repeat that exercise over and over again till the time it was once not to align with the organizational goals as well but yeah it was pretty interesting actually speaking I wouldn't say it was so time consuming because here's the deal if you all would not have been in the room so 20 people right 20 people if you would not have been in the room then I would have had to individually spend, let's say, three hours or a couple of hours at least with, with every individual to get their goals and align. And then the concept of lateral alignment would have been difficult. But 20 people in the same room and even, let's say, if we spend, what, three sessions of one hour or one and a half hours each, collectively, that was still a lot of time saved. So, like, with every person. So, yeah, but I do agree. It, it must have been very hard I'm sorry for that. The first time, at least, I, later I think it was good when one people started getting a hang of how it should be done for the later cycles. I think I can connect it to uh, the big room planning or big room uh, uh, training, big room training, where we, why we do it together. Some, I mean, initially it looks like, no, no, it, it's time consuming. We are spending a lot of money. But I think uh, it is better in terms of getting people aligned uh, at once yeah. so absolutely what will be of interest for me to know is that did you also do the review of those key results in such collaborative fashion with all the team in the room yeah and I'll, I'll come to the tracking aspect of it so the next element that we are going to discuss is tracking so I'll, I'll address how that happened also and again Rucha is here so she I think she did it more number of times compared to me so she'll have more experience I do know that in, in her talk, she actually shares statistics of before and after. I, I never went and got those results from anywhere. Yeah, she, she has more information about this. Okay, so yeah, that's, that's all about alignment. Uh, and if it's more or less clear, if there are no questions, then we can go to the next aspect. <clears throat> okay, so the next one we have is tracking. And when I say tracking, it may sound like micromanagement. It's not really. The aspect of tracking is actually building a culture of accountability. It's like building a culture of accountability. So if you are familiar with the, the works of uh, Mr. Patrick Lencioni, the five dysfunctions of team. So avoidance of accountability, it's one of the dysfunctions of a team. And it has its roots in absence of trust or absence of vulnerability. 
And so addressing this becomes extremely important when we are working with OKRs. The aspect of trust and accountability is extremely important when we are working with OKRs. Uh, now, OKRs per se do have the, uh, the ability to bring in a cultural change. And there are examples where it has brought in a cultural change. But at the same time, for it to flourish, there is a necessity for a certain type of culture to exist as well. So there is some kind of a balance that has to be maintained. So unless you have this culture where uh, people can be held accountable without getting uh, defensive about it, OKRs may not work as well. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. So if I want to create a culture where people can openly admit mistakes or call out for help uh, or even change the contributors midway. So when I say change the contributors, a certain department was responsible for a particular key result. But midway, you may think that maybe some other department or group can do it much better and people should be willingly uh, providing or transferring their key results to this other department. That becomes extremely important in this kind of an environment. And it does start at the top. Unless the leaders uh, walk the talk, it, does, it is not possible to have this kind of a culture in place. Uh, and things like these are simple. Uh, I mean, we have heard stories about when a bug comes, people clap, or when a crash happens, people clap. These are like fun way of accepting, yes, there is a failure and we are working towards it. So these kind of cultures, we have heard of it, we have seen it. It's not relevant or not prevalent, sorry, in many of the organizations. But this is something that is really, really important for OKRs to be uh, to flourish. And if you have this kind of a culture, then timely check-ins, it's called check-ins, um, they are important. By check-ins, I mean, so you may have a shepherd or a tracker, whatever you want to call them, that always reaches out to individuals and asks them about their progress with their OKRs. And if things have to be escalated, then they do get escalated. The escalation, however, is slightly different. It's more subtle. And this is another thing that I ask. Uh, I like, sorry. So let's say that if uh, Shri and I, we are working together, and I have a key result to be fulfilled, which has a direct dependency on Shri. Uh, one way of me holding him accountable would be, I just, in one of the management meetings, I would say, Shri, I'm waiting for this, I'm not getting. Let's say if Shri is from uh, procurement and I need some, uh, some keyboards, I just say, Shri, I'm not getting the keyboards. My people can't work. That's one way of me holding him accountable. The other way of holding him accountable is, I can simply say, my key result is at risk. That simply means my key result is red. Which means I have obviously said that it is me who's getting affected and Shri can fulfill it, but it is not as direct or as uh, rude, uh, I would say, or arrogant um, as to other things. And then everyone aligns and starts figuring it out of uh, how I can help uh, Vishal to make his key result at least amber or green or something like that. And uh, that's how your tracking can actually help you. And that this needs to happen on a regular level. There needs to be a cadence that is much more frequent, happens multiple times during your OKR cycle. And it can be done by anyone who's the tracker. It can be your manager, can be someone else also. And I'll give you an example again with Springer. 
So the same exercise that we uh, uh, that I spoke about, where we would sit in a round table and we would come up with our uh, goals. What we did was after we had those five goals that we needed, we used to write them on cards, and the cards basically had the definition of the milestones also written. So what do I mean by started? What do I mean by fifty percent achieved? What do I mean by achieved completely and stuff like that? So very similar to key results, but in a slightly different way. Uh, but then we used to take our cards and we used to randomly exchange it with others in the room. Randomly exchange it with others in the room, and we kind of gamified it. So the idea was by the end of the cycle, or if not the end of the cycle, in in Springer's case, it was the uh, end date for a particular goal. Uh, making sure that the end date is not the end of the year all the time. The end date is more relevant. So the idea was before the end date of the goal, all the cards that are mine, so all the goals that are mine, I can get it back from the people who have it, and all the cards which are not mine, I give it back to the relevant people. And this kind of thing made it. two way so although the accountability of achieving the goal still lay with the person who's defined the goal uh, the responsibility of that person achieving it it also came equally on the tracker and then the tracker would meet uh, they would meet much more frequently on a weekly basis or on a on a biweekly basis and they would see where everyone is uh, with their goals and have they achieved it or where they stand and if something has to be raised then that happens even if goals have to be adjusted that's per- perfectly fine so goals can change if they are no longer relevant and that is something that happens when it comes to uh, the tracking aspect and i still remember there were times when i i was uh, sitting at my desk and the person who was sitting next to me uh, this one person would just walk in and say here's my card give it give me back yours and stuff like that that those kind of hilarious conversations always happen people would say first time with some sweets otherwise i don't give that uh, these are all fun ways of motivating people and uh, none of this then is related to let's say monetary benefits or stuff like that so yeah that's how the tracker thing was implemented uh, in springer again rucha explains it much better than me and she has statistics so that that's much better she has like key results which are measurable Rucha, you want to add something? I bet I won't be able to explain it better than you. You have key results. You have measurable aspects of it. I don't. Okay, but I I will leave in the uh, uh, the link to one of her talks in the description, so you can always go and check it out. Uh, you'll get much more clearer idea of how it's done. So one change that becomes very obvious is. Uh, holding people accountable and uh, again if if you're doing it for a very large organization and if you need a lot of clarity then it makes sense to get a tool for yourself start so makes sense all good so far okay so with that let's come to the final element okay we are slowly coming towards the end i know it's been tiring and it's been long but stay with me this is going to be fun because this element is called the stretch the stretch that everyone likes and dislikes at the same time and it is actually it's actually pretty controversial okay if i go to the stretch element it's a little controversial 
Uh, it has been publicized a lot by Google, and people usually get carried away with the entire concept. Uh, so I'll try my best to try and uh, explain what it is. So the idea of a stretch is to have ambitious goals, and by ambitious goals, I simply mean you cannot have a goal that is business as usual. So to give you an example, if nothing changes and I if everything goes as it's moving right now and I can deliver three features in a month, then that's not really an ambitious goal. Because, hey, if you're constantly going to deliver three features in a month, then it's not ambitious. I'm not saying this is a good goal to have. I'm just giving an example. Don't quote me on that. So an ambitious goal always improves things that given the constraints, what if you want to stretch yourself a bit and that is where people become creative because they start thinking of how to manage constraints, how to uh, work around constraints and still achieve this ambitious goal. Okay. And that's the idea of a stretch. So if you are deploying to production once a week, a stretch goal can be deployed to production twice every 10 days. That's a good stretch and it's ambitious. Not everything can be ambitious and it's equally important to understand this aspect. And it cannot be ambitious or it cannot be a stretch because uh, if you do stretch it, you will actually get into a problem like increased costs. Here's an example. If you need five engineers for your product team, and if you have a stretch goal from your recruitment team to get seven, and let's say that they achieve and get seven, that's actually going to lead to costs. That's not really good goal to have. So there are consequences of ambitious goals. And that means that a lot of the times these goals are not met. That's acceptable given the point that we discussed before. Failing is acceptable. But this is a way how organizations and people grow. But there are two types of goals that you need to consider for yourselves. One is the committed goals. And committed goals are to be achieved 100%. Anything less and anything more, and you have to question it. So the example of the recruitment team, if you don't get five people versus you get seven people, that's a committed goal. Both of these uh, different types of uh, achievements will have to be questioned because one will mean the product uh, does not meet its objectives. The second would mean there's cost to organization. However, ambitious goals, or there's this another term uh, that we use, it's called Big, hairy, audacious goals, bhag, B-H-A-G. These are the goals which you can have as a stretch. It's an ambition. And every organization will have a different threshold for stretch. So for Google, where uh, achieving 60 to 70% of your stretch is a good achievement, it may be different for different organizations. Okay, so it's more like shooting for the stars and landing on the moon kind of a deal. It's good. It helps you with your growth. It may not be the same for everyone. Uh, and it may be a good idea to, if, you're, if you have not achieved a particular objective, which is a stretch, like an ambitious stretch, then you can roll on that objective for the next cycle also. 
in that case, if the goal is still relevant and the objective is still relevant, you still keep on working towards it. And that, I think, Vijay, to answer your question, what you asked before, where creativity and, uh, and goals don't go hand in hand. This idea of having a stretch, but then keep on rolling on the, st the stretch goal over cycle so that you still keep on uh, outproving yourself, that's something that, uh, that can help products to grow in a slightly different way. So yeah, that's stretch. And that pretty much gives us the four elements of a good OKR, prioritized, aligned, tracked, and stretched. This, however, does not give you the complete picture. This is, if this is, this is not the tip of the iceberg. I'm not saying this is the tip of the iceberg, but this is like the midway of the iceberg. So you still have like half, uh, another half things to, uh, to complete when it comes to looking at OKRs from a complete aspect. Don't worry, that does not mean that we are going to spend another hour on that. I'm just going to briefly touch upon what, what it is. And uh, this actually goes back to, again, Peter Drucker and the concept of MBOs or management by objectives. By the way, H I think HP also has something that's based on management on objectives called the HP way. Maybe they have discontinued it, but I do remember they have something. Uh, the second aspect of OKR, which is equally important for uh, OKRs to be successful uh, and what differentiates OKRs from this annual performance management cycle is the continuous performance management, continuous performance management. And the first thing that one needs to do to get into this habit of perf continuous performance management is to delink performance from financial incentives. The thing about people being superheroes or going on Europe trips, that's, that's something that you should delink uh, de yourself from. And if you're, if you're familiar with the works of uh, Dan Pink or Stephen Rice, uh, this is the intrinsic motivation that we talk about, the intrinsic motivation, the power of intrinsic motivation. And there are examples of it, right? Like kudos cards or standing ovation in the, uh, on the floor when a team or an individual achieves their key results or objectives. These are way of intrinsically uh, motivating people, uh, providing them purpose, mastery, and autonomy. That's the way of motivating people and it becomes extremely important. And CFR, uh, sorry, OKR defines something called as CFRs. CFRs stand for conversations, feedback, and recognition. And this is what helps with continuous performance management. So this needs to happen more frequently, more openly. Uh, there are certain elements that change. So directing your team or directing individuals gets replaced by coaching individuals or where managers become teachers. Uh, the feedback becomes very ad hoc, becomes very multidirectional. Uh, it's no longer based on your boundaries of your departments and teams. Feedback can come from anywhere. Uh, recognition becomes very important. It's more focused, more specific, more visible. Recognition is always tied to like the top layer or the top objective that you have. Uh, people know when recognition happens. So people would know if, let's say, Vijay did something or Rucha did something. and That, that becomes an organization norm. And at some level, uh, recognition becomes a team sport. So instead of people trying to compete with each other for incentives, 
people start helping each other to achieve the objective and that becomes uh, a way of changing all of this there's also this uh, concept of uh, pulse uh, i don't know if you have heard of it pulse uh, so pulse is uh, ways of uh, getting this anonymous checks from people uh, so you you may get some surveys on your system that says have you slept well or have you been sleeping well and that itself is like a good pulse check to see have you been having sleepless nights have you been thinking of something do you have late nights more work and stuff like that just one example uh, so there are a number of softwares in the recent past which have uh, which have popped up which allow you to do this, these pulse checks uh, and i think there's there's also teams which are working on the data science and the machine learning aspect of it so you can expect things like a manager getting a pop up on the screen saying talk to bob he needs help or something like that uh, there are teams who are working this way i'm not sure which softwares are available i've heard or heard rumors that these kind of softwares are available i haven't seen one uh, but all in all the the mixture of okrs and cfrs uh, they become important for the success of okrs as a culture and then the culture itself is important i briefly spoke about it that if you do not have this transparent culture where people or the leaders are uh, walking the talk then all of this fails i mean okr is still a tool right so a fool with a tool is still a fool that's that kind of a deal so unless you have a culture that supports you none of this works for me personally uh, if you know a few things that have been working on in the past slice is one thing that i have been working on in the past you can get more details on my website but the concept of okrs one of the things that resonates with me uh, aligns with one of the concept that i speak in slice as well it's called learning to fail it's not just learning from failures but learning to fail and the idea of learning to fail is to give people this uh, safe area where they they uh, they take risks and taking risks is important in order to grow and this risk taking and growing becomes a norm so think about the stretch and if you fail at your ambitious stretch goal that is still acceptable uh, as long as it is 70% uh, 60 to 70% and stuff like that this is basically learning to fail your organization makes it a habit that failure is acceptable and that's actually a very genuine way of growing and this is the thing that resonates with me because i have been thinking about this with slice anyway and again there are still a lot of skeptics uh, when it comes to okrs people who will have a number of reasons why okrs may or may not work for them that may not work for them to be honest i i'm not the one who's going to dictate whether you should or should not use something but there is another mindset that i work with slice and that basically says don't hate what you don't understand that's actually one of the reasons why i refrain myself from uh, replying to anything that's related to safe on our groups because i really don't know safe at all i don't want to get into it right now but some day i will learn about it and then i'll have my own opinions around it but right now don't hate what you don't understand so if you really want to know if okrs is going to work for you or not going to work for you give you the results you probably should try it out uh, a few times okay and a few times it needs to go through a few cycles before you get into the habit or if you even do it well the first few times you're going to fail and that's that's perfectly fine and then you observe the results for yourself and then you see what happens
much. I think the statement, I think the statement that you made, uh, don't hate that uh, something that you don't know. I think it is applicable in life as well that don't hate someone whom you don't know personally. Yeah. I don't know. Has it ever happened to you that you're watching like a movie or something and this one character comes and you just hate that character to your guts? It happens with me all the time. So this uh, Harry Potter, the fifth movie, Order of Phoenix, it has this female called Dolores Umbridge. Uh, who becomes the principal. I hate that female to my guts. <clears throat> and I have no reason why that happens. And it's a fictional character, but I have this thing. I try to remember, don't hate what you don't understand, but I don't understand why that happens. It's it's an intrinsic feeling. I'm human after all. Because that's a fictional character. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have the human element. Okay, so... With that, uh, let let me just try and summarize what we have uh, what you have what we have spoken in this uh, this podcast. So we kicked off with a brief uh, history of structured goal setting and OKRs. Uh, we went into the essence of unambiguous objectives and uh, measurable and time bound key results. Uh, we discussed the elements that support good OKRs. So. Prioritizing not more than three to five objectives, each with not more than three to five key results. And uh, this uh, helps us achieve the objectives. The key results help us achieve the objectives. Aligning the top line objectives with the organization's vision, mission, strategy, values, anything else, how you describe your organization. And then cascade them top down, bottom up alignment, lateral alignment in order to make it. Uh, more transparent and more wholesome. Uh, then tracking for accountability as frequently as, or rather more frequently uh, than uh, not, and be it more openly, more transparent again. And then stretching ambitious goals, while not stretching committed goals, but stretching ambitious goals for growth. The elements that formulate a good OKR. Also, we cannot deny the importance of continuous performance management. Uh, OKRs uh, have this complementary system called CFRs, Conversations, Feedback, and Recognition, which helps us achieve that. And finally, for all of this to be successful, you do need that cultural shift. Uh, and that cultural shift, that mindset can come in different ways. Uh, but it's important to have that in place in order to have such an open process. And also, if you're looking for more information about OKRs, I do suggest uh, uh, two books. Uh, I know if you do a Google search, you're going to get a lot of information about OKRs. I usually make an attempt to go to the source, to the right source of information. Um, so two sources which I really, really feel are good. One is the book called Measure What Matters. It's by John Doerr himself. So John Doerr who's responsible for bringing in OKRs from Intel to Google to MyFitnessPal to Gates Foundation, and Bono's One Mission, and loads of others. And the other one is a book called Radical Focus uh, by Christina Botke, uh, which is also a good uh, source of information. Uh, also, you can visit John Doe's website, uh, which is called whatmatters.com. It has a lot of case studies around OKRs and structured goal setting. So you can take a look at that as well. And he's practically the person responsible for the rise of OKRs in Silicon Valley. So you can trust him for that. 
but yeah, I'll, I'll leave these uh, these reference links in the description as well, so you can access the, you know, this at any time. So with one more that, sorry, go ahead. I'd like to share one more reference source about OKRs. Uh, it's it's from GPM Hub. If you guys have heard of it, this is a small organization or group. I don't even know, but they sent me. I don't know from where they got my email ID, but they sent me the OKR playbook, and it's, mm -hmm. it's quite a snippet, but it's still quite comprehensive, paradoxical, but yeah, like that. Uh, I'll share that as well. Cool. So, so Google also has their OKR playbook. Uh, if you just search for Google OKRs on Google, uh, you will get it. It's under the Reworks uh, blog. Uh, and they describe the entire process of OKRs, uh, how it happens in Google's, along with the tracking and scoring mechanisms, which go from 0 0.1 to 1.0, 0 0.7 being good for ambitious goals as well. I think that, that playbook also has uh, uh, this section that says uh, traps for, not, for bad OKRs or something. So it gives like a good way of how do you create good defined OKRs for yourselves. Okay, uh, before we end, any last minute thoughts? All good? Sunday well spent? Yep. Okay. Good start yeah, I, for Sunday. Sorry? Yeah. Good start for a Sunday morning is what I said. Well, it, it's actually evening for Vijay, if I'm not wrong. It's all, yeah, it's evening. It's almost <laughs> dinner. Yeah. And it's, okay. it's a good end for lunchtime. Okay, uh, for me and Richard. So, okay, with, for, with that, we come to the end of uh, this podcast. Hope this was educational and informative at the same time. And uh, everyone, you all, and whoever listens to this pod podcast has some key takeaways for themselves. Uh, feel free to post your comments and feedback when I publish this. They are always highly appreciated and welcome. And uh, until that, until next time, I would say, I am Vishal Prasad and you all take care and stay safe.